Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We have a really good show for you today, and Robbie, I don't want to make things awkward, but I wanted to wish you and I a happy anniversary. Wow. Yeah, it did get awkward right away. I hope you got me something. Yes, I have a present. Um, you know, it's in the mail or in my car or something along those lines. One of those excuses. <laughs> um, yeah, well, a year ago today, the AP poll was released on a Sunday, and you and I did our first episode. Took us about seven to eight hours and probably 10 beers each trying to figure out how to record our voices, make it not sound completely awful, and also get through all the segments we had prepared. And it ended up being a monster pod, but look we're, look how far we've come. Yeah, we still <laughs> a have- A year later, 40 episodes, something like that. Yeah, and we we still have as much time. Uh, you know, we don't spend as much time because we're more efficient now. We don't drink nearly as much beer, but uh, who knows how it sounds? Uh, probably just <laughs> you know, remotely better. Yeah, I think hopefully there's been some marginal improvements, but ultimately it's still just two guys drinking beers, trying to uh, have some fun talking hooky football, and that's what we're going to do today. And I guess before we get started, you should give us a cheers. So, yeah, let's go with the cheers to um, the first uh, kind of season of Too Deep uh, wrapping up uh, probably almost to the day when we did our first episode, uh, you know, grown grown the listener base pretty pretty dra- dramatically and probably more so than, you know, we even thought or expected we'd be able to in the first season. So that's been awesome. So thanks to everybody that listens in and uh, puts up with our antics just to get to the information that they're they're trying to hear but uh, you know we enjoy doing it so let's do uh, a cheers to to the first year and moving into the second season cheers to that man okay so let's get started right away because there's a bunch of things that happened and I'm kind of gonna go in reverse order as to when they happened uh, chronologically and We'll start with the Devin Hunter news that he was on campus visiting. If you don't know who Devin Hunter is, he's the number one in-state recruit in the state of Virginia. And he paid a visit to Blacksburg. It was a huge visit. And one of the things they let him do was debut the new uniforms for the battle at Bristol. I thought this was a really cool recruiting move, uh, allowing basically the top talent you're after in the class of 2017 to debut a new uniform. I haven't really seen any other schools do that. I'm sure it's happened, but it was pretty creative. And to me, it seems like things might be trending in the right direction with regards to Hunter's commitment. Yeah, I thought it was the way I guess I characterize it is, you know, it was a thoughtful move. I thought it was pretty unique and it wasn't too flashy. So we don't have kids coming in on, you know, getting rides in on Lamborghinis, but it's, it's kind of a small, um, meaningful gesture, obviously, to the fan base because everybody was really anticipating the new uniforms for that game given uh, people have been previewing talking about it. Uh, Babcock was uh, was talking about it not too long ago. So uh, I thought it was a real nice move. Yeah, and I thought the uniforms looked good. There's There's barely an ounce of orange or maroon. I think there was one orange outline on one of the VTs on the pants. But basically it's a black and gray uniform, which was – Tech's initial colors and the colors of the Cadet Corps way back in the 1800s. So it's kind of a salute to that and a salute to Hokie Stone. So um, it's pretty cool. And I saw a funny tweet today that said, uh, Timmy Settle's going to look like Burris Hall coming out of the tunnel in that uniform. That was 
funny <laughs> as hell because that is so true. He and the funniest was when he there was a Snapchat I saw a picture or a Snapchat of him walking up to the uniform. So it tied it all together, looking at how big he is right next to the uniform that all the players are looking at. Yeah, I don't know if the big men are going to look as good in those uniforms, but ultimately I think uh, it's a pretty sweet look. And some of the reactions we've had to some of the other alternate uniforms we have hadn't been as positive as this one, and everyone seems to love these, and I'm excited to see us playing them. All right, the next news that happened just before that was that it looks like we have a three-man race for the QB position with Josh Jackson, the true freshman, emerging and and Fuente kind of got forced into saying that he's uh, officially in the race, but it seems as if Motley and Evans haven't separated themselves the way we thought they would. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, actually, you know, I'm going to save some of my thoughts. I actually have a lot on this. I'm yeah, we'll hit. go into this a little bit more later. Um, but we have a three-man race officially at QB, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll discuss – whether we think that's a good or bad thing a little bit later. The next bit of news was uh, Tyra Taylor got a new contract, uh, an extension actually, and it was five years, I believe, to the tune of $90 million. With these NFL contracts, it's always hard to say how much the player is going to earn, but Tyrod got paid. And for a guy that I can remember him committing when he was 17, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, he, he had a nice day. The, uh, you know, the, everybody saw that pa- pass out of the pocket the other day uh, that he made scrambling. And, you know, I think it was a 59-yard pass. I, yeah, it's awesome. I always like to see him. He's such a nice guy, uh, really genuine. And to see him be successful after so many years kind of um, at the Ravens, backing up Flacco, not really doing a whole lot. It's always just, you know, nice to see, and I'm always cheering for him. Yeah, it's a testament to his determination and, and will to – to play at the highest level and like say I'm not going to be a wide receiver when he was coming out in the draft and work behind Flacco and earn his stripes and gain the respect to become a starting QB. It's it's awesome. The next uh, thing I got here is we had two defections, two more I should say, because Carson Lydon left the program. We said that in our last pod. But Dwayne Lawson and Raymond Miner have both transferred. I think we said at the end of spring – Lawson didn't look as if he was ever going to contribute because of the way Jackson was looking and he had already passed him. And so not a total shock to see him transferring that, that would seem to be whispered about for quite a while. And then minor, he, he was, I, I mentioned him last times in our, um, as a potential breakout on defense, but for being a highly tied recruit, he never was mentioned um, in any articles or anything like that, other than just people being like, well, maybe he breaks out now because he was such a high recruit. And it doesn't seem like it worked out for him, and he's going to move on as well. And you called the – I think you actually said in one of our podcasts that Lawson was never – probably never going to see the field. <laughs> I think you called yes, it. I, I did say that. Yeah. And there is uh, nothing that we're going into on the podcast here, but there there's pretty good sources about some stuff that was going on with Lawson that may have uh, led to – him leaving the program. We'll just leave it at that. And for our last bit of good news, we got our first four-star commit for the class of 2017 right at the beginning of August, Taj Capehart. Uh, He's a four-star wide receiver out of the 757, and he's now our highest recruit on both rivals and 247. So it was nice to get him in the fold for Fuente, a guy who emphasizes playmakers on the outside, 
bringing in a guy like Capehart will be awesome. And, you know, these things can always are always subject to change. We learned that with the Garbit commit. But it's nice to uh, seem like we got a good guy in the fold there and, and ease the fears of Hokie Nation with regard to recruiting a little bit. Yeah, and I can't remember if the Ellis commit happened. I thought it was the day after we recorded last time. So, um, oh, you're right, uh, Dewan Ellis, the 2018 QB, also committed. That's right. So, you know, right after we were preaching patience on the uh, the last podcast, um, it was nice because both those recruits came in shortly. You know, within three days or four days after uh, we we were talking about that. So, I thought that was that was nice. Yeah, that was awesome, and you always want as many talented QBs as you can get. I'm not sure. I think Ellis was a three-star in some services, maybe a four-star on one. Um, but, you know, his his time on campus is, is a little ways out at this point, but always nice to hear guys want to come to Tech and, and play for uh, Coach Fuente. On the- you, had, you had something you wanted to mention before we get into our uh, breakdowns of the offense and defense. Yeah, two things. So, uh, one, uh, looks like Fan Appreciation Day went had a nice turnout and went really well. Following up after that, Fuente had another open practice for the fans that might have been today. Um, or it might have been... I think it's the 23rd. Oh, sorry, 23rd. Okay. Um, and it, it kind of shows he really understands it, trying to invigorate the fan base uh, while he is holding, you know, the closed practices, he's he's trying to get people out there and excited about the team. The next one was, um, you know, in kind of both after having finished up our first first year doing this, um, and also to try and get us some feedback, whether it's positive or negative. We're trying to you know drum up some iTunes reviews, uh, and as a part of that, we're going to be doing something between now and kickoff against Liberty. Uh, for anybody that goes out and gives us an iTunes um, review, and I mean this sincerely, good, bad, you know, whatever the case may be, any feedback that we can get on how to improve uh, the podcast, make it better, the things we're doing good, you know, things we could, um, you know, kind of uh, round off the edges on. We're going to do – we have beer koozies that people might see have seen on Twitter through the website. Um, we got a whole bunch of them. So if you give us a review, shoot us uh, an email to too deep vt at gmail.com and i hope i have that right because you're always the one that you're, does it right. right you right. you always do the email announcements 2dvt at gmail.com is correct yeah and just tell us what your username was that it was under on itunes and um if you want some beer koozies we'll mail them out no cost we'll pay the shipping and everything and it'll give you something to keep your beer cold when we kick off the season um and just let us know how many you want we'll do you know kind of up to three or four uh put it in the email and we'll get those off to you. I say that, and I'm probably biting off more than I can chew. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the process of moving and record and recording. Um, you know, around. You're gonna be filling koozies and envelopes all night long, Robbie. Right, <laughs> while, while trying to move into a new house, my place is covered in boxes right now. But um, I'm, I'm gonna do it, and we'll get them out hopefully in time for for kickoff. That sounds good, man. That's a great idea, and hopefully it'll engage some of the fans to uh, to let us know they're listening and that. Uh, and that they they like the show. So let's start with the where people are putting VT in terms of the national perspective before it starts. Preview magazines, whatever. We talked to Braden Gall of Athlon Sports last week. And Athlon is probably one of the most bullish publications on the Hokies for this upcoming year. They have us at 29. I don't know if I've seen anywhere else that was lower, higher, however you want to say, better than that. Uh I don't think we were twenty. We weren't in the top twenty-five in the coaches' poll, 
or the AP poll, which was expected, but we also didn't receive any votes. Phil Steele had us at 39 in his power poll. In his overall poll, how we think we'll finish the year, he had us at 43. And then CBS uh, just put out their 128 rankings, and they have us at 44th. So depending on where you look, you know, no one has us pretty much better than 30. And a lot of people have us down towards the middle of the pack in, in college football. And as time has gone on, I, I've seen it get more and more bearish for us. If you saw the most recent thing from Stuart Mandel, a guy both of us I know really like. We like the Audible podcast that him and Bruce Feldman do. And he had us at 5-7. and seven. I hadn't seen us at anything under 6-6. Six and six, um, And he had us at 3-5 and five in the ACC. That was brutal. Yeah. And it's I think the more I tri- triangulate it, Brayden is really high on the Hokies. So when you say, you know, Athlon Sports being high on us, he's in the locker room pumping us up pretty pretty well. And I, I follow him pretty closely through, um, you know, what he does on SiriusXM, on the College Sports Station, and his podcast. So I think he is the reason that they're starting to get more bullish and kind of educating the group on some of the playmakers that we have. You know, it's tough without the QB situation. That's always going to hurt you in the polls uh, when yep. you have that uncertain. So I think this is directly driven to people triangulating the fact that us not announcing a QB at this point, the, and the way Fuente has characterized it, that if he knew he would announce it, is not a good thing. I mean, the odds of us having three really, really good quarterbacks right now competing for that far day, that 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 starting job is is not really I don't think that's what's what's ha- what's occurring I guess in my opinion so it's digging us in the polls. All right, I'm going to ask you about that in just one second. I want to give two more numbers, and that was we had talked about in our schedule breakdowns of the other teams that Bill Connolly doesn't experience rank based on returning production, and so does Phil Steele. And the Connolly experience rank had the Hokies coming in at 32nd, which is pretty good. And that's out of 128 teams, obviously. And Phil Steele's experience rank had us at 59th, which is more right in the middle of the pack and also about right in the middle of the ACC. I feel like our top-end returners are better than most other top-end returners, but then it gets it gets really light for us after that meaning we we lack the depth of playmakers and i think that's a good way to start into our into our offense as everyone knows we hired Justin Fuente and he brought in with him Brad Cornelson to lead our offense and we obviously have this QB issue we don't really know which way it's going to go we saw Motley play last year and at times he looked okay and at times he didn't look very okay at all and that's what I want to ask you about, Robbie, is let's start with the QBs and how you think this race is going to shake out. I don't know if that's very fair because I don't really have a good answer. <laughs> I, have a, I have a guess. You're just throwing me, throwing me under the bus here. Yeah, yeah, I want to ask you first. So here's my thought. Well, one, Fuente's a smart guy, and there's, there's a lot of thoughts I have here, and I'm going to try and summarize it pretty quickly. Is Fuente's a smart guy. And he had to have known that making the statement about Josh Jackson is probably, and I'm going to characterize this, and I don't mean it in a bad way, the worst thing that you could possibly say when you have two experienced 
kind of you know senior quarterbacks uh, that have uh, you know at least reps in JUCO and reps you know last year in the case of of Motley, and then all of a sudden you say it might be the true freshman Josh Jackson in the mix. That's that's enough to send off kind of fire alarms to the extent every single podcast I listen to and national kind of college football station on Sirius XM, whatever, picked that up. That's how kind of big of news that was. So he had to have known the impact of saying that. So what does that kind of lead me to believe is happening? One, it's either it's true and Josh Jackson's just that good. Two, the senior guys have not been developing nearly as fast as they should. Or three, he wants to split quarterback time, and one of those two is has not lived up to par, and he's booting him out, right? So if he wants to play Evans, but he also wants to spell him or you know play a two-quarterback system when it's appropriate, and he wants Josh Jackson in there to get reps, then maybe that's what he's doing. He's setting up the stage to get one of the guys kind of out. Um, so it's not a surprise when Josh Jackson hops on the field you know, in game one during garbage time, if there is garbage time, and I probably just jinxed us. That that's those, and I think the third of those is probably the most plausible, and I hope it's the the first of those, which is Josh Jackson's just that good. Is is what, how I rank it. How about I add in four, yeah. and the fourth option is that Fuente is saying that to push the older guys. Yep, to be like you know. This kid is pretty good behind you, and if you're not careful, he's going to end up starting instead of one of you two this year, even though he knows in the back of his mind it's clearly going to be Evans or Motley. Um, It's just so hard for me to believe that anyone but Evans will be the starter when he was the the kid that Fuente was recruiting at Memphis from JUCO, and then he followed Fuente to Virginia Tech to play under him as a starting QB. I just can't imagine it's going to be anyone but Evans. But Jackson was seemed like the most accurate passer in spring. He might not run as well as Evans and Motley, but he, I know he can run as I know he can run well also. So I don't know. It, it's really hard to say. I I I'm going to stick with the fact that Evans will start based on the recruitment process, based on the fact that he looked decent in the spring game i mean he looked hell of a lot better than motley that's for sure yeah so Um, i yeah not to fuel the fire here but you know the smart move for fuente long term is to get jackson out there right right if you're thinking about you want to be success you get a year of grace period you get two years for most people that are looking at a program you know um the right the right way so if you're looking and saying hey i have a couple years uh, that I don't have to necessarily, you know, win ten games right away. The smart move for him is to put Josh Jackson out there if they think that they can't make a really serious move this year. And not to fuel the fire, but you know, and I this was going to be my hot take, and it actually got picked up by somebody the other day, um, and I can't remember who it was. They wrote an article about it, and I, I had done some research, kind of looking back what happened at Memphis um, when Lynch came in, and. You know, Fuente announced that sophomore Lynch would take the start ahead of uh, Jacob Karam, I think, um, who was a Texas Tech transfer and played all 12 games the year prior and won three games finishing off the season the year prior. 
And in the announcement, and I think I mentioned this, Fuente said, we just want him to go out there and make routine plays. That's all we really ask of our guys, to go out and make the routine plays on a consistent basis, which almost is identical words to what he said about Josh Jackson, what he's been doing so this uh, thus far. And I just want to put that out there because I think it's it's useful information just as you know prior precedent of what he's done. And granted, you know we know what Lynch ended up becoming, um, so he was obviously a rock star uh, at least in the making. So, yeah, I I did see something uh, might have been from Andy Bitter that said uh, if he's the better protector of the football, and that's the way Fuente feels. I'm speaking about Jackson, then he's going to have a really really good shot at playing. Uh, if you can limit the mistakes and he's the most accurate passer of the three, which I haven't seen, I haven't seen any tape on Evans uh, other than the spring game stuff. So I, I don't know how accurate he is when he's playing against, oh, you know, his community college competition. Uh, I know he had 38 touchdowns and f- four picks, so he's probably pretty damn good. But Jackson seemed like the best ball thrower of all three of these guys in the spring. Absolutely. I'm I'm going to say the same thing as you. I'm going to finish it off with Evans. I mean, I, I still think that's where it's going to go. But I think no matter what happens here, the really cool part is, is it's going to give us our first insight when we actually actually see how the chips fall. And what happens, it'll give us insight into the way that Fuente thinks and announces stuff to the fan base and to the media about what what he's going to do and his intentions when we see what happens, you know, on the field. Agreed. I I don't have a, a want one way or the other. I think I liked, I think I liked Motley more than most people last year. I think a lot of people were really down on on Brendan Motley, and I think. He played about as well as could be expected for not being expected to play. <laughs> right. And I think he did okay. I mean, 56% completion percentage, 11 TDs, 7 picks. But he can run a little bit. You know, he had three three rushing touchdowns as well. So 14 touchdowns in six and a half games. That's pretty good from a QB. I mean, he made some bad mistakes against Miami. And there was, there was definitely several others. But, you know... If that's the worst we can do is improvement on his play from last year, that's not that bad. It, I know probably a lot of people are just hating that because we just expect this Juco transfer to come in and be great or this true freshman to come in and be great. But, like, Motley's play last year as a floor, like, it's not awful. It's not great and it, by any stretch, but it's not awful. Right. That's the right – I think that's the right way to be thinking about it. And you've been saying that for a while and it's, I think it's the right message overall. All right, let's move on from the QB race because we don't know what they're going to do. I still think it'll be Evans, but let's, let's move on to some of the positions. We have more of a better idea of who's going to contribute. And and let's start with the running backs and that's Trayvon McMillan. He broke the thousand yard barrier last year, went for uh, 1,043 yards and a 5.2 yard per carry average, which is pretty legit, and for the offensive line he was working with and being a redshirt freshman, I was so impressed with him throughout the season. He really broke out in that NC State game you and I were at, and that was just incredible. And we've got some good depth behind him. Uh, And I did ask you this last time, but just to reaffirm, in terms of a ball carrier, who do you think is our next – the next guy is going to get the most carries behind McMillan. Well, and it, 
you know, I think the Sam Rogers, given what he can do, is I I still peg, and he's probably going to play more like a running back this year. I still put I had I had Sam Rogers in a different bucket because I I think of him in that um, kind of you know fullback position of uh, rather than running back. But I think you're right; he's probably going to get you know the most carries after that. I think what could be really exciting to see is the only thing I'm sure of is that. McMillan will start and that we're going to use multiple backs. <laughs> that's about yes. that's about all yes. I got. But our depth is outstanding. I mean, Shai McKenzie, um, Fuente came out and said some pretty positive things that, you know, he's starting to get some momentum and he could see him as a, a nice between the tackles kind of bruiser uh, back for maybe from spells on um, on the case of McMillan and Rogers. But I'm I'm probably most excited about Deshaun McLeese, and it's really not going off of much more than a lot of talk probably at the end of the season or beginning of, um, I guess it would have been spring practice when they were talking about how kind of quick and shifty he is. But I think you had it right in your comments the last time we went through this, and the more I've thought about it, it's probably going to be McMillan and then Rodgers uh, with the most the most touches. I guess I'm just hopeful that McLeese will get out there and, and show some of what people were talking about at least and we never got to see because everything's been closed right and i'm also hopeful about mckenzie as well like you just talked about i mean he was that guy in 2014 that we thought was the next great running back along with marshawn williams uh he was averaging over five yards a carry before he uh tore his knee up in 2014 and marshawn williams had almost 500 yards before he tore his knee up in 2014 and both of those guys are still on the roster and I'm happy to hear that McKenzie's moving better. That's that's something that um, could really help our depth back there. And if he can ever get back to the level he was playing at, he reminds me of McMillan and how smooth he was as a runner. But it's just so tough with him because he's been injured so often. I like the the prospects on McLeese. And then you got a couple other guys in um, Fox and Reed. Fox being a smaller guy who can probably catch some balls, and then Reed being a bruising back who had the most yards in the spring game at 6'1", 235. He's a big guy. Don't expect those two guys to contribute too much this year, but with how Fuente likes to spread the ball around, we could see some of it. It's going to be McMillan and Rodgers, though, as the one-two punch. And one of the major reasons for that is in Fuente's offense, and French wrote a really good article about this on this about a month ago, about the H-back and its role in Fuente's offense. And basically, the H-back of Wednesday's offense is a guy who has to block his ass off. I mean, he work, he's, he's basically a guy who has to put in so much work to make the offense go and doesn't reap a ton of the rewards. And for us, I think that's going to be Steven Peoples. And that's the fullback who was technically Sam Rogers' backup at fullback last year. But with the way the roles are going to kind of switch in Fuente's offense, Steven Peoples is going to be on the field a lot blocking and the way French termed it is, you watch where that H back goes. That's where the ball is going to go in a running set. And if the ball and if the running back doesn't follow the H back, then it's probably play action or pass play. And so, Peoples is going to be a key part of our offense this year. And watching some of the tape on the H back last year, there's a lot of responsibility there. Uh, and, well, I should say in the Memphis offense, the, the tape that that I was going through, you know. Peoples is going to have a big role for us. Blocking is, and you know, to summarize what you said and put it a little bit differently, blocking is huge in Fuente's offense. Uh, it you know even more paramount than you know 
75% of them or 80% of them out there. And it's going to be critical this year. And if people can show the ability to do that, then it's going to, like you said, get them on the field, you know, pretty, pretty often. And while Rogers is probably going to play some H back as well this year, I would expect Rogers to be more of a tight end pass catching and tailback. And I think you'd agree with that too. We kind of just talked about it a little bit, Yep. but if Bucky's are starting tight end, I think you're going to see kind of Rodgers take on that hybrid running back tight end mold behind him. Which is exciting. I mean, Rodgers is a – and this is, you know, um, what's his name out of uh, Stanford now? I'm blanking. Um, the um, <laughs> Heisman candidate, and now I'm losing it. But McCaffrey. McCaffrey, sorry. Um, he's he's kind of a, a you know poor man's McCaffrey, and that's saying a lot given McCaffrey most people think should have won the Heisman last year. But versatile, can do a lot, and can take on a lot of different roles for the, the offense. Agreed, man. He's he's definitely not, doesn't have the speed of McCaffrey or, or the shiftiness, but I get the idea. A, a player that, that's just a straight-up football player can do a lot for your team. Let's talk about those pass catchers, though, because – in this offense, Bucky's really going to be more of a wide receiver. So I'm going to lump him into that group with Isaiah Ford, our all-ACC, all-everything wide receiver. We said in our season preview one year ago that he would break the 1,000-yard mark, and he did. And it was largely because of how he finished. If you looked at Isaiah Ford's last three games, 2015, he had 500 yards. 500 of his 1,164 yards came in the last three games and he had 227 in the bowl game versus Tulsa, including that sweet like pass in the flat that went for 75 yards like right away. It was awesome. Along with Isaiah Ford, you've got you know our 1B wide receiver in Cam Phillips. Had 49 receptions last year, almost 600 yards in his own right, and a couple TDs. And then we had Bucky, our tight end, who I think will basically be a third wide receiver this year, but will maybe be coming out of that tight end position I'm I'm excited to see how Fuente uses him because it sounds like he's going to be a critical part of our offense. He had 530 yards last year, six touchdowns, which it's funny because five of those touchdowns came in two games. He had three versus Duke and two versus Purdue. So the consistency from Bucky is something I'm hoping to see this year because he definitely had a penchant for being a little inconsistent. Yeah, I think – those you kind of have four known quantities right now going into the season and barring any injury you got Ford Hodges Phillips and like you said we'll characterize Rogers in that group those are kind of your four knowns the problem is is that Fuente wants eight right and he's <laughs> yes he, he said that you know quite you know he's been up front he said and we've used this before I think and I got to go back and find the exact quote if I'm going to keep using it but you know they used as many wide receivers in their first game as we did all season uh last year so you know that that's where you know we'll get to a couple guys that we're about to mention here in a second but you know we need to keep people healthy but we also got to establish some depth if we do get the depth from um, the guys that we're about to hit, Carroll, Newsom, Bradshaw, Diablo, then and you know Devin Wilson sounds like he's had a good a good camp as well, then I wouldn't be surprised to see collectively the numbers come down this year for almost everybody, um, but the production to go up if that makes sense. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, the, the overall production, overall offensive numbers to increase, but you're not going to see. 
you know, the goal from Trayvon McMillan that he wants of 1,600 yards or the goal Isaiah Ford's mother said of 1,500 yards receiving for him. It, it's going to be more of a, a team effort, if you will. It, it, you're just going to see the ball spread around more. I don't doubt that Ford or McMillan can get to 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 yards each, respectively. But it's just going to be hard with the way Fuente's going to want to spread the ball around. He likes to keep his guys fresh. There's running backs take a beating, and he likes to spread the ball around to his wide receivers. It, you, the numbers are just going to be more spread out. Right. So, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah. As long as the offense is clicking, that's great. And what I meant was, if you look, I think I think Isaiah Ford had like, was it like 25% of all our passing yards last year went to Ford? You know, his overall numbers might go up, but it's going to get spread around a lot more. And hopefully the good news is if we're doing things right, that percentage is going to drop hopefully pretty dramatically if things are going well. That and there will also be lots lots more offensive snaps, hopefully a lot more yards. And then those once you spread those yards around, Ford's numbers will still be up there, but you'll see the percentages, like you said, come down. The wide receivers you went through, you named a couple of them. I'll just run off. There's these six names that Fuente said were essentially having good camps and will probably contribute as that that th- if you're going to cl- call Bucky a tight end, that third wide receiver we've been looking for to emerge or just some backups to come through. And that's Bradshaw, who had a nice spring game. Uh, C.J. Carroll, who I think is probably the number one slot receiver. Uh, Divine Diablo, who's a true freshman who can block and will play a ton. And he's big, 6'3", 208. Devin Wilson uh, comes over from the basketball team, packs on 15 pounds of muscle. He's 6'3". He's a nice big target. Maybe some red zone opportunities for him. Henry Murphy is a really intriguing name. We haven't talked much about, but he's the Juco guy that just got ruled eligible for this year. He's 5'10", 175, which doesn't sound like much. But I think Fuente's top receiver last year was a guy about his size. Uh he could have a big time role for us, and he is a a complete unknown, really. Yeah, the slot. Well, I mean, the slot receiver is demonstrated really well in Fuente's offense, and you know, we talked about C.J. Carroll. That that position, you know, is ov- a lot of times overlooked by people. You know, kind of staring at a, a depth chart and what's happening with the team. However, in Fuente's offense, it's really important and can lead to a lot of production for what he's trying to do versus the big-name tall guys uh, that can go up and, and get the ball or go for the deep pass. You know, it's kind of the you – know, it's, it's the Sam Rogers of the wide receiving role. You don't get as much visibility. You know, you don't get the headlines. You don't get the stat numbers, but you're really important to, to the overall offensive production. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Murphy can do. And the last name that – that Fuente mentioned was having a nice camp was Eric Kuma, another true freshman, 6'2", 210, big target. You know, that's a lot of names. Hopefully, out of those guys, someone can really step up and be that, be right there with Cam. You know, I mean, Ford to me is in a little bit of a of a league of his own, but I, I think that th- it's this offense is like ripe for some playmakers and you'll have every opportunity to do that in this offense and so it's Diablo and Bradshaw this is their time to really show what they've got I I like those guys the best in terms of really big playmaking ability and I like Carroll a lot too so we'll see let's talk about the offensive line a little bit and we went through this 
about how we might actually have some depth here in our podcast we did with Braden. Our top six looks really, really good. And that's McLaughlin, Teller, Eric Gallo, our center, Augie Conti, Osterlaw, and Josh Nijman. Those six guys seem like they – those five of those guys are going to start. I'm not exactly sure where when it comes to Osterlaw, whether – because I think on our last podcast, he was he was getting reps at right guard with the first team. But now he's basically a first-team right tackle, yep. and McLaughlin is going to play left tackle. But I always thought that Nijman was built better for the left tackle. But basically we have six guys who have deep, good, solid experience that all look really good, and they're going to – you know, five of those guys are going to start, and then we're going to have a, one nice backup at you know a guard or the outside tackle positions. So I like where offensive line is at, and I don't think – if you can hide, you can hide a lot of things when you're a new coach coming to a camp. If you don't have any wide receivers, you can kind of make something work scheme-wise. And Fuente has always been known to play to his strengths. But one thing you cannot hide is if you have a bad offensive line. And and look no further than James Franklin at Penn State. He hasn't had an offensive line since he got there. And he they've struggled. They've struggled mightily to the point where he had to fire his offensive coordinator, who was one of his buddies, and they brought in the new offensive coordinator from Fordham this year, but that was all because Penn State had no offensive line talent when he showed up. Well, because yeah, they had they only had I think the number I saw it the other day they only had at one point twelve offensive linemen on scholarship, which that does not yeah. work for a team whatsoever. So he was working with nothing. I mean, the cupboards were bare after all the stuff that got done with uh, when the NCAA came in and and basically decimated the program, which would have set any other program back 10 years. But obviously, you know, with Penn State, they can recruit pretty well. Yeah, and, and Franklin's a great recruiter. But my point is that Fuente is not coming into that situation. Yep. He actually is coming to our best offensive line, I think, in the last four years. Uh, it's never been stronger at the top and I actually think the depth is better than it's been in a bunch of those years as well. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be incredible that we're obviously going to have our struggles. These guys, these poor offensive linemen are on their like third offensive line coach in three years or four years. So it's tough. But Phil Steele has us as the 18th offensive line in returning starts. And out of 128 teams, that's pretty damn good at, at 18. And this is going to be a strength of ours. And it's particularly with the fact that I think whoever is playing quarterback is going to run a lot. We've got great ball carriers. I think this is going to be a run first offense. I think our offensive line is built to run the football better than it's built to pass protect. And I'm really happy with how this offense looks outside of the QB because it's just an unknown. Yeah. So I'm going to leave it. I'm not as bullish on the O-line as you are, and hopefully I'm dead wrong. And the only reason, one, to the positive, and you know, what I like hearing is Fuente has said the offensive line has been the most mature, the most focused, and kind of the most you know doing what they need to do since the day that he came in. And he said that a couple times, which is really, really positive. The problem I see is and this is probably from three years of us getting having a lot of injuries um you know overall is in a tempo offense that fuente may not need but flourishes under those guys are going to be getting so many more snaps than they normally would and 
if we have even an injury or two and we start getting into our two deep on on the offensive line you need to you know it's not between snaps necessarily but between plays if we're on have our offense on the field as much as we all hope collectively that we do those guys are going to get worn pretty quick and we need a steady rotation so having a good front five is very positive but you know, you you really need for a tempo offense to be able to swap in ten guys and and keep things humming, in order to keep those at least you know to be as aggressive as maybe we would would like to be. That's my only thing is, and maybe that's a concern I should be thinking about next year or two years from now when Fuente has all the you know everything humming and his guys in there. But that's my only pause on the offensive line right now. And I think it's somewhat valid, but I do think that. Offensive lines are, are going to play, even the up-tempo ones, they're going to play their, their starting five, their top seven, you know, 85% of the time. And if we take on a couple injuries, it could be a, a huge problem. But you could say that about any team. I just think, and I, I don't think you disagree at all, is that this is the best offensive line group we've had in a number of years. By far. By far, I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. It's just you know, I'm I'm looking for uh, uh, you know above and beyond that. I guess is it, and and that's going to be hopefully down the road, two three years from now, where it just continues to improve. But he's got a veteran group that he can do a lot of things with right now. All right, so let's let's do a big picture look at the offense before we move on to the defense. We were 53rd in scoring last year, 31 points per game. Um, by comparison, Memphis was 11th in the nation with 40 points per game. Uh, Andy Bitter put a good uh, estimate on our, our points per game this year, an over-under at 34 points. I think that's very possible. I actually think, and I just said this a second ago, I expect us to do a lot of running. I expect the QB to be a huge part of that, a lot of read option, um, and that's going to be good for the running game. And like I said, Fuente is known for playing to the strengths of his players. Last year in Memphis, he had to pass the ball a lot because he didn't have a lot of true ball carriers that he trusted as much, and maybe their offensive line wasn't built to run as much. They passed a ton. But in this offense, I expect there to be a ton of on-the-ground movement, whether it's from the QB or from the running backs. And my prediction is about, and this is slightly optimistic, but I think it's very, very possible, 410 yards a game, and 35 points a game. If we obtain those goals with how I expect the defense to look, I think we're going to be just fine this year and we'll do significantly better than Stuart Mandel's 5-7. and seven. Yeah. I'll go over on 34. How's that? So I'm looking at defenses that we're going to face. Tennessee is going to have an excellent defense. BC, we know it's going to be outstanding. North Carolina this year should really hard hit stride on – the defense, and Narduzzi and Pitt, obviously they're going to put that out on the field. Notre Dame, there's a lot of talk on the offensive side of the ball. I don't, I haven't heard that much about their defensive side. They lost a lot of people. So when I look at who we're up against this year, I think that's, I, I would go over on 34. I don't, you know, probably split the baby between 34 and 40. Well, that that's even more, yeah, I, I think 35 is going to be, Right, pretty much on the money. That's that's where I'm coming in at, and uh, I think it's 
I mean, you have to consider the fact that we did jump in points 24 to 31 from 2014 to 2015, which is a sizable jump, which is hard to believe. Maybe it's partially because we dropped 50 on Furman and Purdue. But I do think 35 is very possible with the way Fuente, you know, his expertise on offense. And uh, if that's the case, I think we're going to be at least good for seven wins. But let's talk about the defense a little bit. Before we do that, I want to ask you what you're drinking, Robbie. So I got the single wide IPA. We're going uh, full Southern style on this, evidently, uh, Trailer Park. And it's actually uh, a pretty good IPA. It's Boulevard uh, Brewing Company. It's out of Kansas City. I actually I like it a lot. It's a little uh, – I've, uh, I've had one more beer that I'll mention here in a little bit. But it's got a little bit more um, fruity kind of lightness to it, which is always good given – uh, at least in Virginia, it's averaging like 95 degrees outside. So, and I'm sweating and, you know, even in my place right now. So I, I like it a lot. It's actually a pretty good Boulevard's a great brewery. They have a ton of good beers out there. If you haven't had them, try them. And I like it a lot. What do you, what do you have over? I've got the victory vital IPA and victory. We've had on a couple times, uh, Downingtown PA, not too far from where I lived in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. But the Vital IPA, I've had this a couple different times now up here, and it is really great. It's 6.5% alcohol and comes in a bright green can. A very easy drinking IPA. For being 65 which isn't – it's not a double, obviously, but it's not bitter – and it's it's actually almost kind of crisp. I, I really like this IPA. I'd highly recommend it to anyone. The Vital IPA by Victory Brewing Company. All right, let's talk about the defense. And this is something uh, we know, obviously, significantly more about because Bud Foster was retained under the new regime. And that's kudos to Whip Babcock and Justin Fuente for and, and Bud for swallowing his pride a little bit and being able to accept a new role under the same role under a new coach because you'd have to imagine that's a tough situation to be in. But we kept Bud on. I think he's one of the top five defensive coordinators in the country, so it's obviously an incredible move. And we've got some talent coming back on this defense. I, I don't think we have that big-time star like Kendall on this defense but I think we have some guys who are really close and some other guys who could be that star. So I think I want to start on the defensive line. We'll kind of work our way back. Like We just finished with the O-line on offense. Let's start with the D-line on defense. Kenna Canham is you know, going to be the senior. He has had two very good seasons back-to-back now. And highly recruited guy, beat out Notre Dame to get him. He's our only guy returning as the starter on the defensive line. And I couldn't be happier that he's back. He's really going to have to lead these guys. I think there's a lot of talent and a lot of depth on that defensive line. And I actually think it's our strongest defensive unit. But he's going to really have to coach up some of the other guys, make sure they know how to play on the big stage. Because other than Woody, we we have some, some question marks. Yeah, I agree. I think defensive tackle... Is probably 
one of the deepest positions for us in the, I, I would say in the nation, probably top five defensive tackle talent that we have right now. You have Williams and Barron. I think those are probably the starting spots from what I can get a read on behind them. I mean, what the drop off between them and Walker, Sobchak, Settle, I think is we're going to be fine there. We're going to be able to keep fresh bodies on the field. And I think those guys are going to do some serious damage uh, on the defensive line. And, you know, Settles got a, you know, lost, what, 30 pounds. He was already light on his feet because we saw him running, you know, when he first when he first came in and everybody was so surprised he could get around. And now he's 30 pounds lighter. We don't have a lot of film on him. In fact, almost nothing outside of, a, you know, Snapchat feeds, <laughs> you know, defensive end, I think is just as good, probably want well, me a step behind on the starting role and then the only question is 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 who's the too deep there I can um, I think he's going to be great this year I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders and, and he plays very smart behind you know you have Hushan Gaines that might give some give us some depth there and then Mahota and Dooley battling it out opposite to a canum so I think we're I think we're solid in this position overall. I think this could be a really, a really great line. And while last year we thought we were coming in with one of the, you know, a, a superior line, I think this one has less star power, at least from, you know, the Hokie faithful that know all the names, but could end up putting up really nice stats this year. Yeah. And when you talk about the defensive ends and, and how you got Mahota and Dooley and, you know, Dooley's played a bunch, Mahota a, a little bit less. And you're like, oh, but you lost Daddy Nicholas. You know, you're really going to take a step back. Daddy was terrible last year. Yeah. He really was. I, I, I don't, I don't want to bash him for it because he had the hand situation and he wasn't really done any favors from the beginning, but he did not have a good season. Mm-hmm. And maybe the threat of him was worth something more than, than I can really realize uh, in terms of like, teams having to prepare for for the Hokies, but he wasn't good. So the fact of the matter is Mahota, who plays with a lot of energy, and Dooley, who has been you know solid, I, I'm just as happy with them playing. In fact, I would have been happy with Dooley taking over the duties of Daddy about halfway through the season last year. He just His hands were completely hampering his play he couldn't take anybody down well i mean he's already he's doing well at least in preseason and assuming that he makes the cut to make a team but he's doing well in the nfl right now right and that's in a different you know even the even the backups that are on the field right now daddy's still holding his own so something was just completely off we talked about his hands but nothing was going right for him last year and yet he's still doing all right at least against secondaries in the nfl yeah, and so I guess my my point is just that, you know, we're not going to be taking a giant step back on the defensive end, defensive line, losing uh, Daddy and losing Luther and Corey because Woody was basically already starting over Corey Marshall, and I love Luther and I'll miss his, you know, his playmaking ability and and honestly like his veteran leadership and stuff is probably going to be missed, but I think that the upside of Settle and Walker. They show the potential that Luther showed early in his career, and that you know the tendonitis in Luther's knee kind of took took some of the wind out of his sails and and whatever else. But Nigel Settle and Walker, all rotating in with uh, Woody, that's going to be 
a potent right in the middle, like you were talking about. And I, I really like, I like what we're doing at defensive tackle. And the really the only question is the depth of defensive end is Trevon Hill and Hushan Gaines going to step up and be those next great defensive ends. I like both of their games a lot, particularly Hill. I, I'm very high on Hill. Um, I think he's got a nasty attitude and I think he's going to be a really good player for us uh, going forward. Let's talk about the linebackers. This is a, a unit that's, taken a beating over the last couple of years uh you know just from the critics and from us being some of those critics and it starts in the middle with Andrew Motuapuaka he he's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde player and he had 70 73 total tackles last year an impressive 11 and a half tackles for loss and four sacks but he would have other games where you didn't even know what he was doing you know, he, he would make these incredible plays. You remember some of the highlights against NC State and taking the guy from Georgia Tech down in the backfield. But then you'll see him just get completely dominated on a block or not being able to shed a blocker or whatever else. And or miss, he's always missing a know, hole that he's supposed to be in every, you know, every exactly. time. Exactly. He always was at his best when he had a clear assignment, I, I guess. Uh, it's him and working on his read and react was was always an issue. And I guess that's you could say that about anybody, but some guys are given the physical gifts and some guys are given the mental gifts. And he's got every physical gift. I think there's been a lot of chatter about him. I think everybody was pretty hard on him last year. And now during the offseason, everybody's kind of reflected on what happened during the season. I think most people kind of give him a par to – you know, part of bogey grade. It wasn't like he, you know, was 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 worse than that. I think it's just shoring up his consistency, and experience should do that. I hope it does that. So, I, you know, he's not a Jack Tyler. I, we know that. We know what we're working with. You know, maybe he comes out and and shows that level of leadership and understanding and reading the play and being in the right place at the right time. Um, but his one problem was not being in the right place at the right time more often than not. And with experience, I think he's going to figure that out. And I think he'll have an improved season over last year. But that is, you know, a concern. Definitely. And, and he's not Jack Tyler in good ways and bad. He's a much better athlete and better size than Tyler. But he obviously lacks the mental aspect right now. At backer, we've got Tremaine Edmonds, a guy we've talked a lot about. He's absolutely enormous for linebacker, 6'5", 237 incredibly fast and really, really athletic. He is, you know, I don't know if there's a guy that has more potential for the NFL or whatever else. And, you know, being a star on this team than him, he is pegged by everyone as the backer going forward and going to be entrenched at that spot. And I'm just really excited to see what he can do. He played in the bowl game a significant amount and had his good plays and his bad. And it's more for him just knowing where it needs to be on the field. I mean, when you're a new linebacker, that can be really difficult. And he can make up for it with his physical gifts as well. But uh, you know how excited I am about him this year. Yeah, I think the fan base in general has him as the most anticipated. We've hit him a, a lot during the offseason. I think he's probably the most anticipated person on the defensive side of the ball outside of people wanting to see Tim Settle hit the field. Exactly, exactly. And the whip linebacker, who we don't employ all the time these days, you know, with so many defenses going four two five, we do it a lot too. We play nickel, uh, but Anthony Shagag is our whip linebacker, 
He had 29 tackles last year. Again, a really athletic guy who I think has defensive back type safety, uh, safety playmaking ability. And if he and Edmonds and Motupuaka, if their instincts and knowledge of the defense and just the mental side of it can catch up with their athleticism, this could be an extremely dynamic starting core of linebackers. It's more athletic than we've been at linebacker. I, I maybe since the DB days. I know that's easy to like. That's the easy one that we all like come to first. But I think it's true. These guys are insanely athletic. These three guys. Um, it's not the same as it used to be because you know the whips just aren't on the field as much. But this is a a really physically impressive group of linebackers it's just the depth behind them isn't there yeah the depth and it's physically impressive the lack of depth and just the football kind of smarts being in the right place at the right time is the concern right so if they can shore up those portions of it and i guarantee bud foster knowing what happened last year has spent a lot of time with the linebackers during camp that hopefully they got their aptitude up to a level that can make them successful on the field. Yeah, and, and before we move on to the defensive backs, I, I want to mention Sean Huselkamp at middle linebacker. I think he's going to be our top Mike backup, and I like his game. Hopefully he's fully recovered from his injuries. He packed on some good muscle, and I think he could be really valuable for us depth-wise if Motua Puaka goes down. And Savante Beckett, true freshman, getting a lot of love. I'm pretty sure he's a backer. Uh Maybe he would play some Mike, too, if we needed him to. But Tavante Beckett, that's someone they were talking about before spring practice even started, that he could come in and make an impact. And he seems to have. And I think he's going to play a lot of snaps for us. So that's another name to look out for. Our defensive backs, you know, th- we brought back a lot of talent. A lot of young guys had to be played last year. And one of the most interesting things about that unit is they've got new coaches for the first time. That was the only group that had to replace their coaches uh, Torian Gray left for Florida, so we've got Galen Scott and Brian Mitchell back there coaching the positions. Pretty sure Brian Mitchell takes care of the CBs and Galen Scott does the safeties, but they probably work together a fair amount. Brandon Faison, we know his name. He was great in 2013 as a true freshman. Five interceptions and eight pass breakups before he uh, he had some injury issues that year. He's had some injury issues every year. He was hurt for pretty much all of 2014. But last year he had a quietly okay season with 10 pass breakups. Adonis Alexander is probably going to be our other cornerback. Uh, I'm not sure your thoughts on that, Robbie, but he played Rover mostly last year as a true freshman. It's going to be interesting to see how he transitions to corner. Right. And cause I think, I think they would like him in Rover. I, the feedback was he would be a ter- a terrific Rover. The thing is, is that, Terrell, I think, is going to be even better, and maybe not this year, but I think they're having to make that switch just to make sure that Edmonds is on the field uh, in the right position that he can be a true stud for us. So I'm not sure that's ideal for him to Adonis to make that move, but we've seen Adonis on the field. He's a great athlete. I think he'll make – he won't be a detriment to the team. He's just not going to be – what we've kind of come to expect and seeing what Fuller could do and seeing what Faison could do. I mean, Faison made a name for himself while Fuller was, you know, they were playing aside from each other and Fuller was putting up ridiculous stats and athletic plays that 
you know, the Redskins have come to enjoy very much, even in his short tenure there. And so I, I think Adonis will be okay there and not ding us, but it's it's probably not the ideal position for him. He was much more suited to be a rover, but I think Terrell's going to be even better. Yeah, I think uh, the Adonis thing is – it comes down to body type a little bit. I think Terrell, Adams, Terrell Edmonds' body type is – he's a little bit bigger, uh, you know – thumper type player like and he's gonna fit better at rover long term and adonis alexander is 6'3 193 i mean you could you can play wherever you if you can play you can play but he just to me adonis like they look at him he's got that speed it's like how can we not use this at corner they're they feel i think they feel like they're wasting his talent if they don't put him at corner um and then the last position of those four is free safety the stalwart Chuck Clark, 107 tackles last year, 30 more than anyone else on the team, and he had 65 solo tackles. The guy, he's just solid as a rock back there. Uh, I'm so happy to have him back. As for the backups, our nickel corner, starting nickel is Mook. He's going to be on the field. Mook Reynolds, he's going to be on the field a lot. And the backup safety is Deron Green. He, he's a veteran. He can definitely play a little bit. Dion Newsom, we we talked about his noted move to back up Rover, and it sounds like he's transitioning well. So it's good that we were able to you know take a guy who really wasn't contributing on offense and move him to Rover. And then Reggie Floyd is a true freshman who's been getting a lot of love. I don't know if you've heard much about that, Robbie, but it's good to hear a young guy coming in and be able to play safety because that's not always easy to learn. Yeah, and I you know I feel okay about the backups I don't feel great so my number one thing is you know Clark I hope just does what he does right I I don't even want to talk about it to jinx it because if he can give us the same production that he has been that's that's all we need it's you know we got to keep facing healthy please keep facing healthy um so if if that happens then I'll feel all right with facing on the field Clark on the field Terrell's starting to get the hang of it, and we will, you know, the backups, We can, I think we can find another two if we need them, right? It's the way that I think about it, if we can keep those other two healthy. And someone that I, I, I've just seen his name now, I forgot to say him, but you might not like this as much, but Greg Stroman. I mean, the guy's been in the program for a little while now, and he had his struggles, and they've kind of been waffling him back and forth between offense and defense. But as the backup nickel corner, with his speed and athleticism, I I can't think it's a bad thing to have him in that group of backups. You got Sean Payne as well, some other guys that can contribute at a backup corner. But Stroman is definitely someone who the tech program has always thought highly of him. They they've put him out on the field in various situations many times over the years. They obviously have confidence in his abilities, and so it it'll and him being a year older as well. I think it'll be nice to have him as a, a a body back there. Yeah. And overall, we're going to see a lot different defense this year from Bud Foster. He's admitted it multiple times. The stats were down last year and we had to play a lot of man coverage out of, out of necessity because of lack of bodies. And we're moving back out of that man coverage more into cover sets, which I think is going to benefit everybody. Your assignment is, you know, a lot more regular, you know, it's a lot more understandable and you more often can allow somebody else to pick up some of your mistakes and man coverage. What we saw last year is, I mean, 
that's it. Yeah, you know, you're kind of done. And when when Stroman missed his coverage on some of those plays, that that that's all she wrote on a lot of the yeah. big stuff that we saw. Yeah. Overall, I think the DBs, it's a good group. Might take, you know, Adonis and Edmonds a little time to learn their new positions, but I think it'll come together. We've got okay depth. I think we'll be solid in the back this year and improve on last year because we were playing so many young guys. All right. I've got a couple defensive keys for the team this year. Uh, and I tweeted this out a couple of days ago, but number one is we need to eliminate big plays. Last year, Tech was 102nd in the nation in plays of 20-plus yards. That's simply unacceptable. If you watched a lot of our games, you saw us constantly giving up big plays, and it was extremely annoying. Number two, improve in the red zone. We were 98th in red zone percentage last year, meaning teams that got into the red zone, red zone, you know, they scored a lot. And if we can improve that red zone defense, maybe get it into the middle of the pack, that would be that would be great. I, I expect us to improve on that. And then the last thing was just improve against the run. Sounds simple enough. I think the strength of defensive tackle and the improvement of Motua Puaka and the emergence of Tremaine Edmonds will help immensely in improving against the run because so many of that those yards came from QBs. And that's always tough when you play in an aggressive Bud Foster defense. You're just going to give up some breakdown runs to quarterbacks. It just needs to be less. That's my pretty much my overall key. And the games that – the frustrating games that we walked away from were the ones where quarterbacks were – we're running, you know, and just running all over us. And when I look this year, again, across our schedule, you know, and, and not so much running, but just quarterbacks that we're going to have to really deal with is Trubisky at North Carolina, assuming he lives up to the hype. Kaya, who everybody's high on. I've been high on for a while. I think he's got a great football IQ. He's a great quarterback. Concerns me. And then really whoever gets started and the nod at Notre Dame Outside of that, granted, there's probably you know a couple teams on here that are going to have Q- QB pay- play that we weren't expecting, um, but th- I think that's the number one is both the contain and the secondary not allowing the deep plays. We're going to find out real quick because Josh Dobbs can definitely move it on the ground, uh, the quarterback for Tennessee, and depending on how we do against him, it'll probably be a barometer for how we do against the other mobile quarterbacks going forward. Uh, hopefully, if we can contain Dobbs, that means we're doing something really, really right because Tennessee's got a g- good playmakers, good O-line, and, and everything else. So uh, I'm excited to see how that one plays out. I'm going to just mention the special teams because I feel like I don't want to do a disservice and not give our fans the full preview. But you know we got a good kicker in Joey Sly. He made 77% of his kicks last year, 85% inside of 50 and he only missed one kick inside of 40 yards. So he is as good as they come in college football to me. He's got a really strong leg and a pretty accurate leg. The punter for eight, who's taken over for A.J. Hughes is going to be, I think it's Michael Ludwig. It's punting, so I don't really have much else to say. Hopefully he's good. And then <laughs> returning the punts will be Greg Stroman again. I would have to imagine. He showed some – He he's a frustrating guy because he runs backwards so much. But he will break one every now and again. I think he did one in the bowl game. He can get those big returns. He just needs to to get positive 
up the field as soon as possible whenever he catches that ball. Hopefully the new special teams coach is emphasizing some new tricks for him to be even become better at punt returning. And in terms of kick returning, Jerwan Green, I know he had some good kick returns. I really haven't heard much about who's going to be returning the kicks. J.C. Coleman did a lot before, but he's obviously gone. So we'll just have to see. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the specialist, Robbie. No, I think Green, he showed flashes that he was pretty good. Uh, last year he was out there for, for some, and I think I think, I think he will. I think he'll do well. I've, I've, you know, just from recent chatter, it sounds like they there's kind of a committee back there on on who's going to be taking that stuff. So we'll we'll have to see how it shakes out here as we you know wrap up camp. So I guess the question is now we've done this like four times this off season, but since it's the season preview, we have to do it. What's your record prediction? Um, the same. So I'm I'm still at the eight and four after I upped it from the seven and five and I'm a shaky eight and four with the recent quarterback news and probably leaning to if I was Vegas and I could pick seven and a half then I would but obviously (laughs) I can't so that'll probably end up being you know a fumble return for a touchdown in one of the games that we're in so uh, for us or for our opponent I, I I'll stick with the eight and four I'm getting pretty shaky on the quarterback situation, and I'm just putting all of my trust in Justin Fuente and what he can do with that position based on his track record. I've been saying eight and four for a while. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, you know, you only have so many options when you come to these record predictions. You can go nine and three. You can go eight and four, seven five, six. Like it's there's only twelve games, so if you're off by one, you're just off. But Eight and four is my prediction. The losses come Pitt, UNC, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. I think we might actually beat Notre Dame. I think we might actually beat Tennessee. But eight and four is still my prediction. I think the offense will be better. Not significantly better, but better than last year. Hopefully we get to that 35-point mark. The defense. We were 44th in total D last year, 47th in the S&P. That's not Bud Foster defense. This defense will improve. We will be a top 25 defense, I, I, I almost want to say without a doubt, just based on the strength and depth of the middle of our line and uh, what we have in terms of athleticism at the linebacker position and the young guys who have returned in the back. I'd say with a top 45 offense, maybe top 40 offense and a top 25 defense, this team should win eight games. I I don't know why there's so much so many people down on us this year it's got to be because of the quarterback and maybe just because the new system and and it could take time maybe we will go six and six i i've always been more of an optimist and i think we're going to go eight and four and that's that's how i feel yeah there's not the quarterback shaky everybody gets concerned about that and quite frankly, a lot of the national folks are not paying attention, I think, to a lot of the weapons coming back. Stuart, Stuart Mandel's comment, as much as I like him, was re- patently ridiculous on what his comments were for where the ACC was going to fi- finish up. That Fuente you know, comes into the program without much returning on the offense or defensive side of the ball. Yeah. The stats just don't even make any sense when you line that up to the rest of the ACC. So... Uh, I think people there's not a lot of big names out there outside of Isaiah Ford. That's really it. 
And when people only see that, they make assumptions that I think are, you know, glaringly kind of just not not accurate. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I think if you have a quarterback, like it, it makes all the difference. I'm not saying that Miami doesn't have a lot coming back, but like since they have a quarterback that people know and really like, like they're obviously being thrust in the top 25 with with really little other reason to do so. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that they have a quarterback, and quarterback is is hugely important. And I think that's the source of the negativity on the Hokies is like, because not only do have we not chosen a quarterback, the uh, two of those choices have never thrown a pass in D one college football. So we're just at a disadvantage in terms of predictions, but fortunately predictions don't matter. It's what happens on the field. And so in less than two weeks, we'll be playing Liberty and I expect us to to come out, kick some butt, not show too much on offense, but hopefully dominate defensively. If that game goes well, you're not going to see anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Fuente's not going to show a thing if, if it goes the way that we hope it does. All right, well, we will preview Liberty – uh, you know, the week before the game, probably we'll release that on Tuesday or Wednesday before the Liberty game. We'll do a little preview. Probably won't be too long because it is a, an FCS preview, but and we'll but we'll build off some of the stuff we said today. Before we check out, Robbie, what are you drinking? So I have the Alpine uh, Beer Company duet uh, that's out of San Diego. It's not great. I would actually say it's not as great as the. The, the Boulevard Single Wide IPA, which is a little kind of fresher, a little hoppier. It's got a little bit more malt to it, but, um, you know, maybe that's just me comparing the two against each other, and if I have it another time, it'll be good, but probably wouldn't be my, my first choice, although uh, Alpine's a, a great brewery. I am drinking the Elliott Ness Amber Lager from Great Lakes Brewing Company. It's got a very malty flavor, uh, that's for sure. It's it's almost almost porter like in how and smooth and malty it is. But uh, I really like it. Great Lakes. We've had a couple of their beers on the podcast. They make really good beer. Big fan. This one's six point one percent alcohol. The Elliot Ness Amber Lager. I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's been listening for the last year and made it to the end of this one. We always appreciate anyone who will tune into the podcast. If you have any feedback, always hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. You can send us an email with comments or questions. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. And until we do our Liberty preview in about a week and a half, go Hokies.